Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Joe Santarpia. I'm Ryan John. I'm Brendan Draper. Got the whole gang here. Uh, you know, yeah. Going to talk about some loud stuff again today. <sighs> Cut that out. I'm sorry. <laughs> error, error. <laughs> error, error. I forgot the whole one-liner. I might just leave that in. <laughs> I, I f- there was a whole one-liner I was going to do, and I forgot it. Uh, it's anyway. all right. You can do it again. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp, where we talk about loud stuff. I'm Joe Santarpia. <laughs> I'm Ryan John. I'm Brandon Draper. Uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about tuning a PA system, um, which is ironic because it's something I personally know very little about. What about you guys? Yet you do it almost every time. Sort of. You I mean, not to the not to the extent that you you th- you would think, but um, this well, is I a, think th- that's something we're probably going to have to talk about too. Absolutely. You know, this is this is a dark art. We you are not going to learn how to tune a PA system from this episode. We're just going to kind of walk you through some of the processes that are going on. Um, as we understand them, and um, what you can do as a visiting engineer um, to, you know, to participate in that process. Um, it, like I said, it's it's a career-spanning skill. Uh, the people who are good at, at putting up and tuning PA systems have been doing it forever, and um, they're highly skilled, highly technical, highly knowledgeable individuals. And uh, any chance, and, and it is a very different art than mixing a show. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, any chance you get to learn from someone who does know how to do this, I suggest you know, you know, lending them your ears. So, um, so basically, don't listen to any of us. Don't listen to us. Listen to these. <laughs> Just turn this off now and go listen to someone who knows how to do it. Um. All right, so yeah, so so what is tuning a PA? What's what is the goal? What are we talking about when we're saying tuning a PA system? Well, okay, so so yeah, this phrase gets thrown around a lot, and I think the meaning is is different depending on who you're speaking to, right? If you show up as a guest engineer in a venue, you go, oh, I'm going to tune the rig. That means something different than a system designer who has set up the PA, a brand new rig, flown it and set it up, and they go, I'm going to tune the rig. Those two are very different things, not only functionally, but also the perspective of what they're trying to achieve is different, too. Right. But when you say, I'm going to tune a rig, it's ultimately about optimizing the sound that's coming out of it for the person that's doing it. So, for example, a system designer. Like, Brendan, what, what's the goal of a system designer in terms of P, PA tuning? Well, Did I just say peeing? Because that's a pretty obvious goal. <laughs> um, Whoops. Well, uh, system designer, they, they, their whole goal is to get good coverage throughout the entire venue space. So they're setting up the PA and tuning it in order with the with the goal in mind. Like we kind of talked about in the last episode of having even yeah. even amplitude and even frequency coverage throughout all the seats in the venue. So right, that, right. yeah, that's kind of what they're thinking about as they do their job. And that's a good thing to point out too, that you said throughout all the seats, meaning like you don't need even amplitude and even frequency coverage in a spot where nobody's actually going to be in the audience. Right. Right. And, and that's a, that's a good thing to point out because I, I swear there's been many rooms that I've gone into where you go to like some weird corner where nobody's allowed to be there and the PA sounds amazing there. <laughs> and it's just weird because like now, now, now it's all this extra sound bouncing off that wall and that floor and just kicking back into the room and just making more of a mess of it for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, you uh, definitely want a system designer. It. Sorry, go, go ahead. Go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that th- those spaces where the sound is bouncing off of that are not where the audience is are maybe just as important as like everywhere else too, you know, making sure that that sound doesn't go where it's not supposed to go is um, equally as important as pointing it in the right direction. I think. Right. Pointing a speaker at a wall isn't exactly uh, effective or optimal for anyone, you know, definitely, definitely. So what about, what about the perspective of an engineer that goes, I'm tuning a PA? What does that mean? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a guest engineer or something like that walking in to a room and kind of doing it to their own taste. Um, and 
you, you know, you're limited by what you can kind of do there. Um, you know, you're not necessarily go, you're not going to be doing, using all the processes that, that the system designer would to do this. You know, you're, you're usually just limited by like EQ and maybe a little bit of delay, personal delay, uh, stuff here or there. Um, but yeah. Right. But mo- most of the time you're not going to be able to kind of re-angle all the boxes or anything no. like that. No, no, no. No time and, you know, yeah. De- depending on what, I guess, what level you're at, you have more options avail- available to you, right? Or you might even be traveling with your own system designer or yeah. own PA right? or your own system tech who's going to like, they'll be the ones like manipulating the PA to your specifications, right? If, if you're the front of house engineer. Um, Definitely. So, yeah. so actually rem- remind me to get back into that at some point later in this discussion, once we've kind of gone through some of the basics, but I've, I've been on tours where I've had, you know, a, a systems guy putting up a rig for me and then I get to come in and quote unquote tune it after he's done his job. And yeah. that in itself is an, a really interesting relationship between the two people and how it works. So don't, don't let me forget to kind of jump back into that. Okay. Totally. So I, so I guess the next question is, you know, as, as an engineer or system designer, you know, where do you do all this processing that, you know, does the PA tuning? And right. I guess even that in itself is, is a bit of a conversation, is that there is processing that allows you to achieve this system tuning. And that processing is things like your crossover settings, your, your gain for each band of output, um, you know, meaning the outputs from the crossover, you know, low band, low mid, high mid, highs. Uh, it may be more than that. It may be gain for different boxes in an array. There's EQ that can be implemented across the whole array or across individual boxes. There's delays that can be put across a whole array, individual boxes, groupings of boxes. And then there's matrixing and routing that happens here. Um, For the most part, this does not get done inside a console. Basically, what's coming out of your console should be like your show's mix. Mm -hmm. Between your console and the speakers is where the processing should be done to make the speakers reflect kind of what you want out of it. And, and in, in some cases, that may, may be a totally linear transfer between what's coming out of the console and what's being heard at front of house. In other cases, it might not be. Not everyone likes a totally linear uh, transfer there. Right. Um, th- but the idea there is that there's typically a box between your console and the PA. And it may be the system processor that actually runs that PA specifically. For example, Meyer, they have their own system processor. L Acoustics, they have their own. D&B, they have their own. Adamson, etc. They all have their own. But then there are also some system processing boxes that are brand agnostics, uh, such as, you know, Lake Systems or, you know, DBX Drive Racks, things like that. Right. But I guess the, the point of this little snippet here is that the idea of doing this PA tuning should ultimately not be inside of your console. It should be after your console and before the speakers. Now, obviously, in some scenarios, you don't have that extra tool, so you might need to do things like um, PA EQ using your output EQs or delays or things like that. I mean, I, I imagine you guys have hit that at some point in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But your preference is still to kind of do it outside of the desk? You know, it, it's that, it, like you said, that's a conversation. Um, sometimes people don't like you going through their system processors, you know, this or that. Um, I mean, typically I have an EQ in my desk that's doing something, you know, on the, on the mains and on the matrixes themselves. Personal preference. Yeah. I mean, that's how I do it too. The idea for me is, um, you know, if, if, if we're going to tune PAs with a record, then I should expect what's coming out of my desk to be like a record. And I sh- don't want to use my desk in order to uh, kind of tailor it to each day for from a PA perspective. Uh-huh. But if it's necessary, you know, all, all modern desks have the ability to do this kind of stuff with multiple yeah. band EQs on the outputs, graphic EQs, the ability to add delays, the ability to flip polarity, all that stuff. So it's it's all there. But to me, it's easier to keep that outside of the show file itself. 
especially if I'm going to, you know, show up and do a fly date at a festival, I don't want to have forgotten that I had left system processing on my mains left, right, then apply it to a PA that that, that stuff is not relevant to. Right. I guess the, uh, the next thing is, you know, how do we start doing this and what do we do? So the first thing that we have to do when we're approaching this, especially from the engineer, or the system tech or the engineer perspective is, is actually taking measurements of what you have, you know, so um, using a measurement microphone, typically how it's done is you take measurements from different points in the venue um, by playing pink noise, usually, uh, through the speakers, and then taking measurements of like frequency, uh, amplitude, and delay as well. And so once you once you start measuring, you can have all these different points of data across the whole venue and kind of use them together to get a clear picture of, of what what your PA is doing, what the room is doing to In the, the sound. different places. Yeah. yeah. So so just to be really clear there, just yeah. to be really clear though, when typically when you're measuring a PA with something like pink noise, mm-hmm. you're not just sticking a microphone up there and going what am I hearing and looking at an RTA output? Right. Typically what you would do is you'd be looking at a transfer function. And what a transfer function is doing is it's looking at the difference between what's coming out of the uh, noise generator, if you will, and what's being received back into the microphone. Yeah. You have to so, have, you have, as, to have like as, a perspective. You have to have a perspective of like what, what sound is going out and what you're receiving back. And then, you can actually you can find the difference or or what's what's changing in the system processing in the speakers you know between your mixer and what's happening in the room right right, right. and and just as a let's say a bad example let's say you've just got a really bassy pa in general right mm-hmm. if you send noise into it or even music anything and this transfer function is looking at what the source is and then comparing it to what's coming back from the PA, the transfer function might look like it has a really big bump in the low end and then reasonably flat everywhere else. And what that's telling you is that the PA is putting out more low end than the source actually has. So the difference between what it's receiving back in the microphone and what's being sent to the system is that big bump in the low end. Right. As Brennan just said, you know, you do measure from many places in the venue. What's what's the reason for that? Like Joe, why why would I measure it in a bunch of places as opposed to just yeah, stick it in front of house? Well, it's going to sound it's going to sound different everywhere you go and um you know, you have to kind of try to, you know, as a system designer, uh like we said, you know, you have to you have to make sure the coverage is relatively even, uh, amplitude wise and and spectrum wise uh, all around the venue. It's it's never going to be perfect, you know. That's probably impossible, um, even with today's technology. But taking all those measurements for all those different places is going to give you a visual picture and a way of I don't know seeing what's going on without being in all those places at once, which you can't do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is there particular software you use when you do this? Smart is the, you know, is the, you know, I don't do this often because I'm not an assistant designer, but smart is the, you know, typical go-to measurement software um, nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rational acoustics. Big up. And and just for clarity, that's S-M-A-A-R-T. Right. Double A. It's smart. <laughs> smart. Um, but no, no, smart, smart's a very cool tool. It's It's not particularly expensive either, but there are some free similar ish tools that do exist. Um, there are also, you know, other equally expensive tools. Uh, one that I used to use all the time back before I actually spent the money on smart was, um, roomy Q wizard. Have you guys ever seen that? No, no free. So it was, it was, yeah, it's free, but it was made by some folks, maybe one guy. I don't actually know. It was made by people with the intent of being able to provide it to home stereo enthusiasts, you know, hi-fi folks. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's got a bunch of functions like Smart does, where it'll allow you to do transfer functions. But it'll also do some kind of cool stuff where it will, instead of sending out pink noise, it'll do a single sign sweep where it goes from 20 to 20,000. Uh, 20, and it'll go, Ooh. 
all the way up. That's a fun sound. Um, (laughs) It's it's one of the most annoying things ever for anybody else who's inside the venue. They just hate you. Better than pink noise. For the rest of your life. Like, they will never forget. No, no, no. It's not better than pink noise. No? (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. Those guys will hate you for the rest of your life. They they won't forget that you're the guy who did the whoop thing. Yeah, I guess if you're close and it's loud, that that would be painful. Well, where it gets particularly rough is that once you're you're up past 10K, that is piercing to people. And at least Mm -hmm. in pink noise, like up there, it's, it's merged into a bunch of other noise. So you don't really hear it as piercing, you know? Yeah, depending on how much. Hopefully there's no dogs in the building. Right. Right. <laughs> but but Rumi Q Wizard, it is a free tool that does something similar. It's kind of cool because it'll also give you waterfall graphs of how long a particular frequency take to, takes to decay in the room. Oh, wow. Which is really neat. Um, you can figure that stuff out with Smart. It's just more complicated. Um, if you have a room where you feel that a particular frequency is really just ringing out in it, you can actually use something like Rumi Q Wizard, and it'll show you a waterfall plot that shows you, yes, 110 hertz takes six and a half seconds to decay. Everything hmm. else takes two seconds to decay. It'll show you that, which is kind of neat. Hmm. Hmm. i have to check cool. it out. Free, free, is, free is a good price. Yeah, free <laughs> is a great price. You know, the only problem with having that information, though, is then you go, how do I use it to make my PA sound better. Right. <laughs> and if, if it's something like the low end rings out for six seconds, there's not much you can do there Oof. except for rebuilding the venue. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, guess, I guess that is a good next, next topic, really, is how do you know what things you can fix and what things you can't in a system does that make sense? Because yeah, I feel like that was like, something that took me a really long time to fully understand. Yeah. How do? You, wh- yeah. What What do you decide to fix so that you're not like chasing your tail on something that's like impossible, you know? Or like right. you said, rebuilding the room, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, Joe, I mean, what are, what are some of the things you try to fix when you get into a room? Like, what what are problems that have come up for you many times that are like, yeah, this one comes up, and how do you deal with it? Um. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, don't tell me you, you quit and you just run yeah. home. <laughs> I, there, there Fuck have been this. rooms, there have been rooms where I will not mention or the ways the PAs are tuned or whatever was going on that I have made me want to quit straight up. Um, no, th- you know, I, again, as, as a visiting engineer and someone who is not a system designer, there's, there's, um, there's very little, um, I can do other than, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of like mixing to a room or to a mistake. You know, I guess, I guess evaluation is the first step. Right. If you walk into a room you've never mixed in before, typical process would be play some music that you know well, that sounds decent and doesn't have a totally fucked up mix uh, through the PA <laughs> and, and walk around. <laughs> And, and start identifying, you know, be your own you know, smart. I, I, I do want to stop you for a second, because in my opinion, the first step should be asking the guy that's done thousands of shows in that room <laughs> if there's yeah. anything to be aware of first. Of course. <laughs> right. Right. And then after that, then we do your step. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So, you, so you've got music you're familiar with playing and you're walking. Yeah. And I'm walking What are around. you looking for? I guess specifically you're listening for a frequency curve as you walk around and how it changes. Another thing you'll want to pay attention to is, you know, especially if you've like loaded your own show file, um, pay attention to the front fills and the subs and whatever other matrixes you have going or other feeds and just make sure that those levels are appropriate and, and something didn't happen in, you know, if, if like in their default show file, they send, you know, the front fills at minus three and in yours, it's minus six. So they're a little low kind of thing. So pay attention to the relative levels Mm -hmm. of all the different, uh, outputs you have going. And then after that, you know, it's a, uh, it's the uphill battle of, of frequency response, um, you know, throughout the room and, um, that dirty, that dirty deed of EQing that room, you know, um, so I, I guess the assumption, the assumption there is you can't really move the PA. You can't really change the boxes for anything else or right. any of those things. Right. So you're kind of limited in the, the tools right. you and have, ass- right. And assuming I'm like locked out of the processor, you know, I don't know what I'd do if I got in there anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but you know, assuming all of that, you know, yeah, it's, it, it, it comes down to, to frequency response and, and EQ, you know? And, and when to do it and when not to. So as you walk 
let's say let let's just pick a, an easy one. Let's pretend you're you're looking at Maine's PA only. Yeah. And you walk from left to right across the room. Mm-hmm. And you walk from front to back down the room. Yeah. You know, if you find something that is the same in all those places, at that point, do you jump to doing an EQ change? The same in a bad way? <laughs> yeah, like like maybe it's the same that, that you don't like, or that's, maybe it is the same that you do like. You know, or like what, what's, what's, I guess, the next step there? I, you know, I've walked around the room and I've decided, okay, it sounds really low, heavy over here, and something is a little bit harsh. Uh, at that point, you know, I would either initialize or refer to the conversation that you brought up, Ryan, which was, I'd speak to the, the engineers done a thousand shows and say in there and say, Hey, you know, okay. For instance, you know, for instance, you know, it's really, uh, you know, low midi, you know, one sixty two hundred is just nuts. Like, is this going to go away when people come in? And if he says yes, then it's like, all right, I'm going to like, I'm going to keep that in mind. I'm going to not pull that too much, if at all, from you know, from my system EQ and, uh, I'm going to hope that it, <laughs> that it goes away when the room gets full. Right. Um, if he says, no, this room just is terrible there and it's not going to change when people come in, then yeah, you know, dip it. Brandon, is it kind of the same for you? Um, yeah. I mean, usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll blast some pink noise through each, each box, basically left, right, subs, fills, just so I can hear, mm-hmm. hear it come out. And if something egregious is happening, you know, with the EQ on those things, then I'll usually notice it with the pink noise. And then I'll play a song that I've listened to like hundreds of, hundreds of times on PAs. I, I, w- I would do this when I was working in venues in San Francisco too. Like every time I came in the building, I'd just like play the same song every night that I got there. So I you could get just, acclimated. Yeah. Just to make, sh- you know, just to <laughs> right. make sure nothing, <laughs> it was like a really small venue. So like, Think people would well, things mess could with have stuff. changed. You know, things could have changed. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'd, yeah, true. I'd I'd play that song. Um, that song, Latch by Disclosure, mainly because the the kick is really tight, sub heavy, mm-hmm. and then it's like really clear in the in the high end. And so I just like play that and uh, walk around the room and listen, kind of listen, especially the difference between like up close to the PA and then like back where I am at front of house, so that I like remind myself or know like, okay, that's like the difference between those two spots. Right. Right. Yeah. And then like, if it's, if it's a spot that I haven't been to before, then, then kind of decide, you know, do a little FFT averaging in my brain. If that's all I have the ability to do. (laughs) And be like, at least you always have your brain with you. Dome average. Can't leave that one at home. Dome average. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Dome average. I like that. That's a technical term. (laughs) <laughs> it is now but yeah like, you know like don't don't try and not go too crazy to correct something especially if i don't have the means or the capabilities of doing all the measurements etc like i i usually err on the side of lightly touching the eq and rather than like going crazy right on it, you know well i mean we we got to be real here for a second we do have to make an assumption as a guest engineer that a venue is not an utter piece of garbage for the most part. We have to assume right. that they have done the best thing they can with this PA. Sorry, which uh, venue are we talking about? In this space. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> no, but just the idea kidding, is that, you know, it, nobody's, nobody's putting a PA in a room going, this sounds like crap and this is great. You know, everyone is mm. trying to do the best thing they can with that rig. So we do have to assume, at least on a minimal level, that they have done some amount of due diligence to make this as good as it can be, right? But as you just said, you know, if you walk in and you walk in and assume a clean slate every time, then at least every single time you come into a new space, you can kind of recheck their due diligence, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You can go, does this actually sound like I expect this to sound? So, you know, you, you had mentioned a song that you used uh, to tune the rig. Mm-hmm. And you use that song not just because the lows are tight and it's got a nice clear top end, but also because you're insanely familiar with it, right? Right, yeah. I mean, you've, you've heard that song 100,000 times on 100,000 different sets of speakers, your own headphones and all those things, right? So you mm-hmm. know what your brain expects it to sound like. So right. the moment it plays in a different room, if something stands out, you go... Whoa, that's not how the low mids sound normally when I hear this. Oh, 
this this song is not normally harsh in this area. This so- song is not normally honky here. Mm-hmm. This song is usually brighter than this, but this seems a little dull. With all those little bits of information, you can kind of you kind of level the playing field there. You've gone into a new room, but you've gone into a new room with something super familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and Joe, I imagine you know it's kind of the same boat for you, right? You're playing a song that you know really well, and like, what's what's your song? Oh no, are we doing this? I, <laughs> yeah, I think we're I doing know, this. I don't know if I can expose this information. This is like you know, this, this could is get your me, secret. Is it get me? La- no, no. It, it's not a secret by any means, but it's just like... I mean, it's, it's definitely a, not a secret to any of the venues you've been in. They're just like, yeah. what the fuck is he playing? What yeah, is hopefully this? none of them are listening because they're like, this turd. No. Um, you don't no, have to be I, embarrassed about your, <laughs> your song choice. It's 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 a bit of a cliche, you know? Um, you probably but, you do know, have to be embarrassed by your song choice. I, <laughs> I love the band, so I, you know, so I, I'm not embarrassed because of the music. It's, it's, it's a, it's an audio guy, you know, cultural thing at this point. And yeah, man, I play fucking Babylon Sisters, whatever. Okay. It's a good song. It's, it's not even the best sounding Steely Dan record. Okay. But it's, it's one that I know. It's one that I feel mm-hmm. like, um, pertains more, I guess, to the show that I was traveling with before COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was just, you know, and I love that song and it was like, you know, and all, and all the dudes in the band love that song. So they would hear it and they'd be like, oh yeah, okay. We're about 10 minutes from sound check. Like this is tight, you know? <laughs> and, and they, they, they know, they know it's time is coming up because of it. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, what's funny Whatever, is, dude. um, Steely Dan's I, I cool, asked a okay? buddy of mine, I asked a buddy of mine, I was like, what does Steely Dan's front of house guy listen to when he's doing <laughs> oh. the PA? The answer is not Steely Dan. I don't remember yeah. what he told me, but it wasn't Steely Dan. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I thought that in itself was pretty funny. I saw them at Coachella in 2015, and they sounded fucking incredible. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway. Yep, I believe it. Ryan, do you have a song, or have you had a song in the past? I not. have many, which is um, which is interesting. Um, I it kind of depends. I've got different songs to listen to different uh, tonal ranges in a PA, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So I, I've I've got songs that have like lots of you know big round sub or songs that have you know really crisp top end, and I, I play different songs if I'm trying to listen to different things. But my first go to is is Michael Jackson "Rock with You." Mm. I've been using that to tune PAs for I don't know. 15, 20 years or something like that. Yeah. It's one of those songs that I've heard so many times that the moment it's played on a PA, I go, oh, that's a little wrong. That's a little wrong. That's a little wrong. And I can tell immediately that something in the rig doesn't sound right because it's not as I expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but one of the things to note with that song is that there's not a ton of real low, low-end energy. There's, there's stuff right. in like the 90 hertz range, but there's nothing below that really. Mm-hmm. So if you've mm-hmm. got a PA that's kicking when you're playing that song... You know that your sub levels are pretty offset, mm, right? So hot. once I'm done with that, I jumped. I jumped to some other stuff. Um, I do Justin Timberlake. Some of some of his stuff, like Senorita or Rock Your Body. It's got super tight low end, super crispy top end. You know, mm-hmm. um, I used to use Jamiroquai Canned Heat all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It is incredibly mixed. The upper mids the the top end the low end like almost all of that song is is stunning what i think is interesting though is that um i don't use a piece of music specific to the band i'm working with if i'm working with a metal band it's still these same songs if i'm working with a pop band it's still these same songs if it's it's hip-hop r&b it's still these same songs so it doesn't change for me i don't know is it the same for you guys yeah i i I keep it i keep it to mostly songs that i know and that you know, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really change. I mean, yeah, yeah, I keep, I keep them the same as well. For me, I mean, no, I, I, I totally see that approach, but I mean, it kind of does, it kind of does change a little bit for me, you know, if, if it's a, if it's like a hard rock band or something like that, then I'm, I'm gonna put something like that through the PA, like put on some Nirvana yeah. or something and, you know, um, at least just see, you know, see what's going on see how a room reacts you know a lot of times for me i find especially in bigger more cavernous rooms how busy um the music is can affect how the room reacts and stuff like that whole nother conversation certainly, but you know certainly that, yeah. that leads to my decision making on that end yeah the other thing is for me my tuning of the pa 
with these, let's say, three, maybe four songs. First of all, I almost never make it all the way through a full song. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes I even just set it so it loops a chorus and I kind of do my walk around. But once I've gotten an idea of what the coverage is like from, you know, left to right, front to back, up up the bleachers, up the sides of the arena, that kind of stuff, if it's reasonably consistent, then I don't necessarily need to jump into walking again. I can maybe just jump to another song to get a different perspective. But really, really early on, I switched to playing yesterday's show. Mm-hmm. And I play yesterday's show without vocal because that, to me, is the only thing that really matters going through that PA. Right. Mm-hmm. So... That is obviously easier with a band that you're touring with consistently than it is with, you know, doing one-off shows um, or even working at a venue where you have different bands every day. But even on a one-off show, if I have the ability to play, you know, even if, even if it's a rehearsal, if I have the ability to play that, in theory, that's what's going to come out of my desk or at least close to it when the show actually starts. So I might as well start there. Yeah. Mm. I mean, do you guys do a good amount of virtual sound check? in order to kind of tune your rig or do you save virtual soundcheck for once the rig is already done? I, I've never traveled with virtual soundcheck and I've, you know, in, in the instances where I've been able to use it, it's been more of like a, I don't know, just the, the particular band that I was touring with, it, it didn't make much sense because of how fast things would change from show to show as well. Like that's it, fair. Yeah. It was, it was too inconsistent. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, yeah, it didn't benefit me that much at the time. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. also haven't had the opportunity to um, either yet. I'd, I'd like to try. Well, well, now I feel spoiled. Now I feel very <laughs> spoiled. <laughs> you should be. What, what were you about I to use say, it. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no, go I, ahead, Joe. I, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah, go. Whoops. <laughs> I, that's all right. I was just going to say, I've used it um, like, you know, to continue work after sound check, where we've done like a pretty extensive sound check and I still wasn't mm-hmm. quite happy and then had um, some time afterward to kind of meddle around and, and isolate things, you know. But, but at that point, you're using it to kind of modify your, your show itself as opposed to the PA tuning, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Brandon, you were about to say something and I so rudely interrupted you. Um, no, I, I was just going to say, I, I want to, one of the things I've been doing in quarantine is kind of looking at my, my show files. And there's this one show that I do fairly regularly, like maybe twice a year. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's going to come back like in the fall or next year, but, um, that I do front of house for, and it's been pretty consistent. So I have some, some show recordings from the last couple shows we did. And I want to like plug those in and just get it dialed and ready to go for like the next time we do a show. That makes so, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, there's something always different between the sound of a mastered record and the sound of a raw board mix. Right. Mm-hmm. And totally. realistically, that's pretty much the mastering limiting that I'm yeah. not going to do on my live mix. Yeah, so right. when it comes to using songs for measuring PA, I find that the best ones to use are the ones that are less slammed. You know, the ones that are like sausaged out in mastering typically don't translate anywhere near as well. It's almost like a wall of sound, right? And it works fine when you're playing it in a car or on iPod earbuds or, you know, little things. But the Mm. moment you put it on, you know, 60 boxes of PA, Mm. you can kind of hear how squished it is. Um, Mm. And it's not really going to translate that well to what your actual board mix is. So that's why for me, I like jumping to the board mix pretty early. Uh, and sometimes I use board mixes from other tours to tune a rig for a show that I haven't built a board mix for yet. Mostly because I use generally the same overall processes as I build my mixes. So the general output is going to be similar. And if I know what that show sounded like on a PA when it was good, I should be able to get kind of the same out of using that board mix to tune my rig, if that makes sense. It's not a bad... Uh not a bad idea. I never thought about that. The board mix thing when virtual soundcheck isn't available. That's not, yeah, totally. You, you know, one thing I do want to point out though, is that if you're doing things like a board mix, um, and you're outdoors or you're in a place where any of the crowd can hear what you're doing, in my opinion, it's best to do it as an instrumental board mix. Yeah. Cause I don't want, I, right. and I think we had mentioned this in some other episode too. I don't like it if kids hear recording of the show going through the PA 
and hear the vocal because then it becomes easy for them to go, oh, the vocal's all fake. It's on track. They just hit play. Yeah, yeah you've mentioned that a few times. Even though that's not the case, it's it's just a thing I try to avoid. So, you know, I, I do the board mix as instrumental. And as far as they're concerned, yeah, maybe the band is there and they're playing and stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't want to kind of fake them out with, with that whole thing. Totally. So I think I think there are two technical things we do need to jump into, though. Yeah. And they are, you know, polarity and delay regarding PA tuning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Polarity is an interesting one. On a larger scale, for the most part, people only touch polarity when they're relating it to subs and mains. But on a smaller scale, I've been into many venues where one driver out of, you know, the four or five that are making up the, the PA is inverted polarity. Mm. And... Typically, what that sounds like to me is as you walk across a speaker, you can incredibly clearly hear the relationship between the multiple drivers in it. If a speaker is working well, as you walk across it, you don't really notice that there's many drivers inside of it kind of pointing, right? You just kind of, it is, it is a single sound source. Mm-hmm. But if there's a polarity issue, I can always hear, whoa, there's multiple speakers inside there. And is there a more technical way to break this down? Absolutely. But that's how I always immediately go, whoa, something's really wrong there. Have you guys ever noticed that? Has that ever become a thing? I've I've probably, I've probably heard that before, but I've never, uh, you know, identified it as that. I didn't realize that that was, you know, I've heard what you're talking about and now maybe I know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there are other possibilities too, right? There's, it's, it's, it is theoretically possible the speaker is just incredibly poorly designed and it's set up in such a way that like, yes, as you walk past it, you can hear every driver, but that's just not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it sounds incredibly phasey as you kind of cross between one driver to the next. And it, it very clearly sounds like there's multiple drivers inside it as opposed to one. In those cases, that typically means one or multiple of the drivers are out of polarity. You know, mm-hmm. to fix that, you can literally take the, the two connections going into a driver and just flip them, positive and negative. Mm-hmm. If you want to be really correct about this, there are polarity checkers you can buy. They are cheap. You just mm-hmm. plug them into, you know, an XLR, and there is a kind of send and a receive. And when you turn the send on, it pushes out a polarity, either positive or negative, depending on which device you have, and some of them have settings. And the receive one will tell you if the speaker has come towards you or gone away from you. And, you know, if it's coming towards you, it, it's going, yes, these are in the correct polarity. If you want to hack your way through this, you can actually do this by just creating a waveform in, in like a DAW where the waveform just goes positive and just stays there for a minute and then comes back down. Don't do this with square waves because it's super dangerous. But blow a speaker up. You, what, what you can do is you can hit play on this and literally look at the speaker. It should come towards you and then go back to its kind of standing point and then come towards you and go back to its standing point. And if you're looking at all these drivers, it's obviously a lot harder with like a horn. But if you're looking at like mid-range or woofers, they should all be moving in the same direction um, when this is being done. So that's, that's a way to check polarity. Isn't that um, kind of like the, polarity the 9 volt better. battery trick on a on like a guitar cab or something? It is exactly like the 9 volt guitar, uh, 9 volt battery trick. Yeah. If you want to describe the 9 volt battery trick, go ahead. Oh yeah, it's just when you you know, if you got like a a speaker cabinet, you know, we used to do this checking guitar amps back in the day. If you had like a speaker cabinet and you replace a speaker or something and wanted to make sure you wired up the polarity right and that they were all working together, you just take a 9 volt battery and you, you know, just line the positive and negative up with the contacts on the TRS input or whatever. And, uh, it, it, it'll pop, you know, probably not great for the speakers the or whatever, TS, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they'd pop. And if one was going in while the other was going out, you'd know that that was, um, you know, out of, out of polarity with the rest. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, if you've got one speaker out of polarity, you just end up with really uneven coverage. You end up with crazy comb filtering all over the place. The tonality is yeah. all over the place. And that can be a really simple solution. I remember there was a venue I went to in Chicago, and, you know, there was a really rough PA in there. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure we were carrying more speakers on stage than there were flown (laughs) for the audience. But half the PA was out of polarity. Well, I guess technically one quarter of each side of the PA was out of the polarity with, with the rest of it. And it sounded crazy. And we just hopped up on a ladder and we flipped the thing, uh, flipped the, the, the connectors to the back of the, the driver. And 
you know, hit play on some music again. And the house guy was like, this is amazing. It's never sounded this good in here before. But it was such a simple thing. And I guess if you didn't know what it was that was causing it or didn't know to fix it, then you wouldn't have known that it can be better than that, if that makes sense. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that's polarity. And as I said, you know, the, the, the most common one is between mains and subs. For the most part, uh, the idea is that you want subs to push at the same time as main PA pushes. Then they kind of combine the best. Mm-hmm. That you can check in exactly the same way that you do that I just described with, with you know, other speakers. Uh, best way to do it is with a polarity checker. You'll be sure it's correct then. And, and to correct uh, You can that- also do it in smart and other stuff. To correct that, Go you ahead. know, like say you're you're going into a venue and you've got your your matrix matrixes on your board for left, right, and sub, and you notice that the sub seems out of alignment. Do you do you check it just by like flipping the phase on like the output of your matrix? You can, yeah. You you can flip the polarity on the output of the matrix. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's a way to solve the problem. I mean, Typically, I would be, I, I'm, I'm stupidly picky about a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. So if I noticed that there was a problem and I had the time to do this, I would go and I would actually polarity check each of the subs mm-hmm. because, you know, subs are on, you know, connectors like NL4s and stuff. Those are typically made by people, you know, yeah, like, uh, right. you, yes, you can go buy NL4 connectors, but a lot of people just custom make these into short cables and it's really easy to flip. The, 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 the poles on that so that you know positive is yeah. going to negative and negative is going to positive. Sometimes it's just that one of the cables is flipped. So one of the subs might be pulling instead of pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen an instance where one of the multiple drivers inside a sub was pulling instead of pushing. But if you're in a place where they got a lot of homemade subs, it's very possible you'll hit that. But if you've sure. got you know commercially built subs, it's not likely you're going to hit that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, subs are another one of those things that that polarity checking on subs can be quite, quite useful. It can change the way your whole show sounds. And I guess that's where delay jumps in too. I mean, what are some of the methods for getting subs and main PA aligned? I'll leave this question to either of you guys, whoever wants to take this on. Uh, I mean, (laughs) you can delay, since the subs are like closer to the audience, Typically, you could delay the PA. I mean, delay the subs. Sorry, and then that way, the the sound from the the subs and the the PA will be hitting you at the same time, right? So they'll kind of combine. Yeah. At that transient, rather than being like well, a little ahead. I, I guess we should jump into why do you delay things. And I, I think you kind of just hit it right there, right? It's the idea that some speakers are closer to the audience than others, yeah, yet right. you want them to hear all the sound at the same time. Right. 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 The sub is, you know, if you're in the front row, a sub and a front fill are like, you know, three feet away from you, but the main hang is like, you know, 20 feet away from you, 25 feet away from you. So, you know, that arrival, the arrival time of the signal is, is different, you know? between yeah. those, those drivers. You know? So in, in that example, I guess, I guess a good point to make is that there is a good amount of that front row that is only going to hear the front fills and subs, right? Because the PA points past them or doesn't hit them at all. Mm-hmm. So for them, it doesn't really matter if they're aligned with the main PA because they're only hearing front fill and sub, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But there is going to be a portion of the crowd where they're hearing main PA and front fills. And those guys, those positions are where it actually matters to align those two. So if you're doing things like measuring, you should find that crossover point where the coverage of the main PA and the coverage of the front fills actually overlap because that's where it matters to align them Mm. rather than aligning it across the whole front. Mm -hmm. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? And when you're doing that, say, as a system tech, like, is there a certain, do you know if there's like a certain amplitude like you look for? where that crossover happens, like where you're, you can like hear how loud the PA is at a certain point compared to how loud the sub and the front fill are and then decide whether to make the the easiest change. The easiest way to do it is in, in, and this is in my opinion, you know, again, like tuning a PA and doing this stuff properly is, is a lifetime education. So this is just how I like to do it. 
I will turn off the front fills in the sub, and I will walk with the main PA on, and I will walk to, you know, a couple of couple feet offset from the PA, but just inside of it maybe, and walk up to the front row. And I will listen for where the PA stops covering me, where I suddenly am not hearing direct PA, but I'm hearing it bounce off other stuff. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that that spot, you know, it exists. You'll be able to hear where the PA drops off. And at that point, you either have to go, I am now in the coverage of the front fill, or... I'm still so far back that there's going to be 10 heads between me and that front fill, so I'm not even going to hear it. And if there's going to be that many heads between you, you kind of move diagonally along that line where the PA is dropping off until you believe you actually would be hit by the front fills. Mm. Does that make sense? And then when you get to that spot, you go, this is where I need to time align them. Mm-hmm. And if someone is, if someone is much closer... If, if, when the front fills are on, they hear 90% front fill, 10% main PA, don't worry about them. If they hear 90% main PA, 10% front fills, don't worry about them. Right. You want the guys that are in the middle. You want the 50-50 where it like really is a good amount right. of bleed over between one and the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that bleed over, it's not a huge amount of space. So mm-hmm. you don't have to go completely nuts about getting it dead accurate. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to be in a spot where someone's sitting in the front and they can hear that the PA is hitting at a completely different time yeah, than different. the front fills. You know, so it's a bit of give and take, though, because your subs, on the other hand, they hit the whole audience, the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So 50 feet back, it'll matter to have the subs in the main PA lined up, at which point that might mean your sub and your front fill time aren't necessarily in line with one another. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Even though the front yeah. fill might be sitting directly on top of the sub. True. Yeah. So it, it's a bit of give and take. Like you want the largest portion of the audience to have the best show possible, but you do all these little things like putting up front fills to make it better for as many people as you can, but it's never going to be perfect everywhere because it's just physically impossible unless we do silent disco. <laughs> no. <laughs> right back to silent disco. Back to silent, silent disco. disco. No, I refuse. It's, it's, it's funny, man. It's funny. It's it's almost like I want to do one based on all this stuff I keep saying in these episodes, but I definitely don't. Be easier to mix, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely easier to mix. But anyway, so that that's where delay comes into into play. And you know, as Brendan said, when you have speakers close to you, and you're also getting covered by speakers far away from you. You need to delay the speakers that are close to you so that the arrival time of the sound from those speakers is the same as the arrival time of the sound from the speaker that's far away. Right. And, you know, to be real rough about it, it's about one millisecond per foot. So if you're three feet from your front fill and you're, I don't know, eight feet from your main PA, if you add five milliseconds to your front fill, you'll be pretty close to them arriving in time at that one position. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Yeah. I'm writing this down. (laughs) <laughs> are you are you no, you could just I mean, listen to the episode again <laughs> that's true yeah. I'm so, gonna have to, right, have to right. listen so, to all these episodes like in nine months yeah. when to we go mix, out and make shows to, again <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be so much time we'll all have forgotten <laughs> yeah fair enough fair yeah. enough so Brendan what is your workflow when you come into a new room like how do you deal with it like we said before I'll listen to all the speakers with pink noise and then listen to a track on them as well. Um, also like, you know, get the lay of the land, so to speak, and like know what I'm dealing with. And then if things sound off, then I'll go to the house tech and like ask him, ask him or her questions about, about the rig and like see what we can do to fix it. That's pretty much my, process okay and 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 joe you're kind of in a similar boat right yeah you know evaluate what's there uh listen and like you know and and evaluate more and communicate with the house engineer and then you know and then apply corrective measures if necessary to put it broadly yeah i think i think the important thing is the order you just kind of the order you just kind of said listen evaluate you know and apply Right. Because you kind of need to do it in that order. You don't just... It, it doesn't make sense to just throw up some music and just start EQing. No. Because yeah. you don't necessarily know 
if what you're doing is actually the best for everybody in the room. I think another good point, though, is that front of house positions are often in places Fucked. that are not the optimal <laughs> listening area. Yeah, I said it in a nicer way. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so don't try to adjust your PA based on your front of house position unless your front of house position is in the area where the majority of your listeners are. Right? Right. That's always nice. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a luxury, isn't it? Just right <laughs> in the middle of the floor, just right there, you know, just getting blasted. Oh, those are the, those are the most fun shows to mix. They are, man. You know, like all those House of Blueses where they've got like the front house kind of like poking out on yeah. like a little bit of a rut. Like, oh, they always feel so much fun and so intense. It almost yeah. feels like you have like a like a PA sitting on your your, your console. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, usually like an analog Midas desk or something like that and you're just ripping. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Anyways, I, I feel like that covers probably all the stuff we can cover without doing a year-long course on the physics of sound and digital system processing and yeah yeah impulse responses and yeah, all I mean, sorts yeah. of other sh- I guess stuff we could just say go out and go out and learn this stuff more you know like go yeah take all the smart workshops on their on their youtube page and you know learn how to learn how to yeah, sy- yeah there are a lot of good resources and use the tools yeah be be humble talk to, talk to your system techs pick their brains you know, learn as much as you yeah. can. Yeah, there are a lot of good resources. Hop online, look at a lot of the PA manufacturers. A lot of them have uh, videos and documentation explaining exactly how to optimize their systems. Uh, Rational Acoustics, as Brendan just said, they've got a whole video series on how to use smart to tune PAs and how to use smart to analyze what's happening in the space. Um, yeah, you know, use use the tools you have but be aware of what they're providing you you know just because uh, a curve on a screen shows that there's a dip somewhere it doesn't mean you need to boost it you need to understand what that is showing you and you need to separately understand how to deal with what it's showing you i think that's the hardest part of system tuning right is like understanding what you can do to fix the things that show up right yeah yeah and when to, when to apply which yeah yeah exactly no. Well, I feel I feel like that hits it. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was great. I learned a lot. <laughs> From you, Ryan. Thank you. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. I didn't, I didn't, wise even, I didn't even go ham on how I actually tune a rig. That'll, we shouldn't we, go there we, now. We'll chat after, pal. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, dude. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you all for listening. Um, you know, we had a good time jumping in on this one. Like I said, I learned a lot. I um, hope you did too. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll end up doing another episode at some point and get a guest on that uh, could really educate all of us. That would be that fun. would be helpful. Yeah, I'm I'm super down. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, thanks, guys. Peace.